going to start off just by giving a little bit about what Grey Thumb is. Grey Thumb was started in Boston, actually, by a bunch of hackers and hobbyists um, in computer science and biology. We even have lawyers that come. And basically what it is, is just a community of people that get together over a pint um, uh, and talk about things that are interesting relating to artificial life, simulation science, and such. It was modeled after the Homebrewers Club that was started you know, back with Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Wozniak, Woz, back in the you know when the kind of the dawn of the microcomputer, the mini computer, or the personal computer era. And it really is just a place to have fun. It started out with about five or six people um, uh, at this little pub in Cambridge, and it kind of grew. And now there's about usually between somewhere between 30 to 70 or 80 people that come, crowd into this little pub, drink beer and just talk about presentations. So it's very informal, very relaxed. Um, we decided to bring it over here to the UK, uh, in London, because we thought it was kind of interesting. We also have a blog that's really popular. We have 14,000, 15,000 sort of different people that visit it on a daily basis, where we talk about everything from cryptography to artificial intelligence to biologically inspired artificial life, etc. So it's a little bit fun. Um, what, what we're doing, we're going to present here a little bit, just I'm going to start off with about 10, 15 minutes, just setting a context of, of where we are in the world with respect to technology, um, why is simulation science important, why is artificial life important, and then we're going to kind of move into the Evo grid, which is an idea that's been brewing as part of this kind of uh, listserv that we're part of, and this, uh, this podcast that we do weekly, where we're looking at effectively how we might create artificial life forms, and, and Bruce will go into that a little bit more in depthly. Um, so if I just kind of set some context, I'll start off with you know, a pretty broad level uh, sort of perspective about you know, why is this important. And I like to tell, where I focus on is actually communicating to chief executives. And, and when, chief, when I tell chief executives when I meet them for the first time, in fact I met with the CEO of a $4 billion company this week in London, and I tell them, look, I'm going to introduce you to some ideas that are going to blow your mind. You can either make you a lot of money, or you can, and, and you can focus on it and look forward into the future, or you can pretend it doesn't exist, continue doing things the same old way that you've always done it, and, and let your competitors eat your lunch. So, and, and he was very intrigued about that, and so we went into a lot more detail. And so, to set the context, looking at the Earth, about why this stuff is important, I don't know if y'all have looked around recently, but have you noticed that there's not a lot of clean water? Have you noticed that there's food riots? Have you noticed that there's more than 6.5 billion of us and it's growing geometrically even now? We've got too many people, not enough water, resources are being depleted. What are we going to start seeing? Riots, gas, what about a pandemic? We've done a lot of work on modeling the spread of pandemics and the mortality and morbidity that will arise from that using agent-based modeling and simulation. So what I'm telling people, these chief executives, these, these government leaders, I was just in Dubai, what, two weeks ago, talking to some of the, some of the Emirates over there about these sorts of issues. And what we're seeing is that there's bigger risk Okay. Ever, as a result of globalization, as a result of these increasing trends, we've seen this, this incredible pressure where we, we try to make a decision in one part of the business and we say, okay, we're going to fix this problem. We fix that problem and guess what happens? We've created 10 more new problems. Okay. Because we keep looking for quick fixes. That panacea, that silver bullet that will fix everything for us. But what happens with quick fixes? They eventually fail. They're like band-aids. They don't address the root cause. So what we tell executives, what we tell leaders, what we tell people in IT, there's an opportunity now with these technology systems, which I'm going to talk a little bit about, to actually create foresight about what may happen in the future. And that's using simulation science, that's the modeling of the physics of reality using nonlinear mathematical techniques to create a simulacrum 
of the real world that runs parallel in real time to the real world, where we can then make decisions in that synthetic environment, which don't have the same consequences of making the decision in the real world. And those companies that actually do that, those governments, those people that do that, will have the ability to live their preferred future. And for those that are interested in this, I had the opportunity to, to present to the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the United States. There's a paper that just went out to Congress in April talking about the government or the companies that embrace these technologies and dominating space will actually have unparalleled foresight and capabilities uh, that rival any government. There's those that will ignore it. They'll continue to do your standard regression analysis, their standard causation, uh, looking at correlation, and, and say, oh, no, no, forget about this new whiz big stuff. Uh, I'm just going to look into the past because the future is always going to be just like it was in the past. Yet if you read things like The Black Swan and other books, you'll, you'll realize that ain't the case. So the same time that we've had this sort of relentless trend of problems, there is a solution now that's staring us in the face. And, and what I want to talk about is these four key success factors, with the primary focus today on the third one, the Evo grid, which Bruce will be talking about. Um, basically, it's the idea of creating hybrid simulation models, the idea of using grids or high-performance computing environments to power and handle the computational load, the role of artificial life in managing our enterprises in our world, and the ability and the importance of linking models together that you build and breaking down the silos. So effectively, if you look at these same relentless trends that we've had over the past 50 years, we also had something that we invented. It was called the computer. And what that computer allowed us to do was actually uh, approximate answers to nonlinear equations. And there's been all sorts of different things that have happened. Okay, Call it a confluence of trends. That have, brought, that have come together. You're going to see six little balls floating around there. What are those balls? Well, they're agent-based modeling, as popularized by Stu Kaufman. Is everyone familiar with agent-based modeling? Here, yeah? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Uh, system dynamics out of MIT? Yeah? What about discrete event simulation? Yeah? Dynamic systems? Anyone do any work with dynamic systems? No? Uh, artificial life. Now, is this stuff new? Is system dynamics new? You don't know. 1950s. 1950s, yes. Jay Forrester, MIT. Agent-based modeling is a new. Conway's game of life. No, none of this stuff is new. It's been around since the 90s. It's been around since the first computer, effectively. But what happens? It takes years and years for insights to propagate out of the, out of the um, scientific field into the social sciences. So for the same thing, the, the insights that we saw penetrating the physics community, that rocked the physics community, which took a bit of time to kind of promulgate out to biological sciences, biochemistry, finally made their way out to economic theory. Similarly, the insights from Jay Forrester, the insights from Kaufman, the insights from all these different pioneers have slowly but surely promulgated their way um, out or, or kind of diffused out from the academic communities. And each one of these little balls that I showed was a separate academic community that only worked with themselves. So if I was a system dynamicist at MIT, if you've ever met Jay Forrester, and, and I had the, 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 the pleasure of um, <clears throat> meeting him and studying uh, at that fine institution, he's an arrogant prick. Okay? And uh, he's ruthlessly mean. And he's very hard to study with him. Okay? I've seen him in meetings with chief executives who literally get up out of the room and say, piss off, what you're saying is completely erroneous. I can't believe it because what you're telling me is counterintuitive, but really I understand. So anyway, long story short, system dynamics is like Jay Forrester. When you would meet someone like Stu Kaufman, what would happen? Sparks, they'd hate each other. 
couldn't understand how my ivory tower of discipline of system dynamics doesn't have anything to do with agent-based modeling. Well, horseshit, the mathematics actually comes together. Okay? It's all an artifact of human beings trying to create little ivory towers that they can, that they can uh, capture their power. So what we say is these different mathematical modeling, they've actually, actually come together. You can actually create a platform. You can actually model physical reality. Like a babushka doll, you can actually recursively have a system dynamics model. Inside the little system dynamics model is an agent, and inside the agent is another system dynamics model. If you're a programmer, understand recursion, I'm going to flip your mind up. So what happened for four or five years? Flew around the world after I sold my business because I was bored. Interviewed a bunch of people in the, system, in the simulation community. Built a computer simulation. Hit play. Spat out about 50 different scenarios. Lo and behold, it seemed to me, based on my analysis, that the tipping point for simulation science, the tipping point, what I mean, is that point in time when we move from the early adopters and the innovators who buy it because it's whizzy cool technology or because they work for a military or a government, the early pragmatic buyers, it's a bit hard to see, um, they would purchase it because the ROI was incredible. They're not, they're not interested in buying WYSI technology, they're interested in buying technology that works. So we, I published that in the System Dynamics conference materials, presented it to the System Dynamics community. They proceeded to call me the most controversial speaker they'd ever had. They tried to lynch me literally in the room and I ran out with uh, feathers and tar on me. Yet, Gartner contacted me out of the blue and said, you know what, we read your report. Gardner's this, they follow IG, everyone knows it probably. We read your report, and guess what? Our internal proprietary research matches your simulation results. That's interesting. We charge lots of money for our insights. So we need to understand. So we talked to them, then we led a one and a half hour workshop talking about at the European Business Process Summit on, uh, on simulation science. So effectively, the tipping point is here. And we had a great podcast with Biota. We'll talk a little bit about, about Biota in a minute. Uh, where we talked about what's going to happen with this stuff. Well, if I can make another kind of statement about foresight, by 2012, 2011, 2012, the metaverse will emerge. And there'll be those organizations that have embraced it and dominate and basically have started a positive reinforcing feedback loop. And they'll start pulling ahead. Maybe in government. It may be a company, most likely it will be a company rather than a government, and we'll see a major change in how things work. So I've thrown out these six different balls, trying to stay on my time schedule. What does all this mean? Well, it took a couple of years, but what we realized is that we could actually bring these things together, these six little balls. And we thought to ourselves, huh? Why don't we make a new IT infrastructure like what SAP did? Now, everyone hates SAP, um, or you love it. I don't really care. It's just a piece of software that tracks data. Um, but what we can do is actually create a new simulation layer comprising a network layer, a simulation layer, a modeling layer. What we're going to be focusing on today, the Evo grid, which handles the search layer. And then obviously the collaboration layer and the decision layer. Now this is pretty complicated stuff. I mean, you've got lots of things, and for many executives, this is pretty, pretty complicated. So what I say is, well, let's make it simple. There's three buckets. I want to model reality. What do I need to have to model reality? Well, I need to take care of space. So that's libraries and services for handling geospatial issues. Everyone understands space, your place in space. Anyone who's played with Google Earth understands your place in space. Then we also need to worry about time, because you know, it's a relentless thing. Time, we never get enough of it. So that's the library of services for handling time. And gee, lo and behold, you know, we have to have evolution. 
my natural selection. Now, when I go to Texas, they try to lynch me. I was born and raised there, so I can make fun of them. And then what we're doing is loading that up onto a platform system so that we can actually create the simulation of the real world. What you're seeing here are two examples, real examples. Bruce has lots more interesting ones. On the left-hand side, but all you're seeing here is you've got some hardware in this particular case we're using. Does anyone have a Sony PlayStation 3? Who has a Sony PlayStation 3? Who has a Sony PlayStation 3? <laughs> he wants one, but he hasn't gotten one yet. <laughs> Inside the Sony PlayStation 3 is a supercomputer. And that supercomputer is pretty whizzy. It's a cell broadband engine. IBM has actually released something called the QS22, which is a commercial version of that. And if you hack the Sony PlayStation 3, you can actually write some pretty whizzy software on it, as long as it's parallelized. That leverages, you can offload to certain parts of the SPUs, things like 3D algorithms, and, and encryption's really good. We actually have released out to the public domain a new version of the Maracene Twister, written for the cell BE. You can download it if you want. Um, also, there's something called the Blue Gene P, this big supercomputer, you may have heard of it. Um, it. Basically, what you can do is, did anyone here play video games? World of Warcraft, anyone? Yeah? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, actually, what I believe is those, those, those kids that play video games today, and interestingly, it'll be women, too. Because women, have you ever watched a young girl play The Sims? Anyone have a daughter here that plays The Sims? Yeah? Okay. Why don't we have something like The Sims for our countries, for our companies? Well, we can't. So I oftentimes think that actually the women CEOs will take over in some respects because if you watch a, a, a girl play the sim, she takes care of all sorts of different things that can hold in her head, all the different things that are going on. Okay? So anyway, long story short, that's the blue GP. What's nice about it is unlike World of Warcraft, which right, right now uses x86 architecture, which you grids of thousands of computers, you run into problems if you have, say, 250 million users all trying to log in at the same time, you have to create different what they call worlds. Right? Because you can't scale up. So when we were scratching our heads thinking to ourselves, well, how do we actually build a grid system that supports the entire world's population? How do we do that? Well, that's when we met with IBM. We signed a bunch of paperwork with their legal people, which are irritating. And then we got access to the roadmap for this hardware. And what we realized is that this is like a gigantic memory stick that you can just keep plugging more and more on. And you can instantiate into memory the entire virtual ecosystem. Who's doing it? China. China's right now building on a network that sucks how they're doing it, but they're doing it, um, called Hypehi, which is going to support 75 million simultaneous concurrent users, which effectively means that they're building a system that will support 250 million of their population. So what's the US doing? Dick all. So that's basically what I wanted to tell everyone, um, kind of setting the stage for where we're going with this. Um, I think that, uh, I'll skip this, this is basically just moving dots, just kind of close uh, before we move into the next portion of this. Do you want me to give you a few more minutes for your... Yeah, I'm waiting for a full set of students okay. to arrive. So I'll go through one more thing. So this is, a, let me just fire away with my preaching um, at you, and I apologize. If anyone can interrupt me at any point and tell me you're absolutely wrong, and that would be lovely. Um, this is an example of moving dots, which represent human beings moving through an airport terminal. Okay, pretty pretty basic stuff. How long does it take to build a simulation like this? I don't know, maybe a week, week and a half, two weeks at most. What do you do? 
I don't know if you can see it, but basically we have little humans, they walk through, uh, they're at Terminal 5, um, where they're waiting and waiting. And over here we have everyone losing their bags, okay? No, I'm just joking, and uh, that's pretty easy. But you say to yourself, well, it's just moving dust. Well, using agent-based model, you can actually allow the little humans to move around in that space like they want to, just like in a video game. You don't have to set waypoints. They actually just might kind of move around. Some of them will head over to the restaurant, have dinner because they landed and are hungry, etc. cetera. Uh, and then we can also have little levers that we can say, what if the passenger load suddenly increased, and so on. And then someone says to me, well, moving dust is pretty boring. I just don't get it. It's like dots. It's a video game. I'm the chief executive of this major airport or this major service airport. Well, if we need to visualize it for you, then we can make it like pretty pictures, avatars, or in this case, photorealistic ray-traced environments of human beings moving through the baggage claim through customs. Okay? Now, when I really want to freak out the conspiracy theorists in the States, what I'll say is now what we're going to do is we're actually going to put a little RFID tag on you, and that way we can actually know and visualize in the mirror reality everywhere that you're going and where you are so that we can help manage our world more effectively. <laughs> And so on. And then I say to myself, okay, well, that's great. I'm looking at a terminal. Let's zoom out. Okay? And in this case, what we want to look at is I talked about this idea of the mirror reality, linking the mirror reality with the virtual reality, the, the, with the real reality. Well, here we have QuickBird satellite imagery of Helena Regional Airport in the United States of America, a small regional airport. What you're seeing there, I don't know if you can tell it, let me zoom in, is uh, we've got a 3D model there that shows different aspects of it. We have right here, the terminal, 3D terminal, some cameras that are watching the terminal and looking around for different things. This is the runway, okay? Call it a Google, like SketchUp is doing this with Google where you mash up a 3D element on top of a, on the virtual, the real world. But we can also zoom in some more, strip away the roof and look at the actual 3D walls. We can look at different things within the system, mesh points, access points, etc. Classic simulation. Then we can strip away even the walls and just look at the floor plans, okay? And in this particular case, what we're doing is showing the platform and role and play for, in this particular case, an unauthorized person on the tarmac. I love how they, a person walked through a door on the tarmac because he was going the wrong way and now he's gonna get a shot, okay? <laughs> is what happens. So basically what happens then is you can link the simulation system together, visualize for training purposes what's going on, and uses a real-time system. Has anybody done any work with augmented reality here? Does anybody know what augmented reality is? Augmented reality is the idea that I can superimpose on the real world virtual objects. Okay? Normally that's done like in a science museum. If you go to the science museum, you put these glasses on, it has a video camera, and you look at it, it takes the stream of the video and it superimposes on it. It's commonly used if you ever watch like fighter pilots or work with fighter pilot systems, they have what are called heads-up displays. And what they'll do is they'll superimpose on the visor, targeting information, you know, all that sort of information. Well, interestingly, it just came out of trials out of the US Army. Now, now a, um, a sunglass manufacturer, very famous one, is creating these really stylish new sunglasses that'll be coming out over the next, they say 18 months, but these things are always late, um, where it shoots a little laser into your eye, it's completely transparent, and when I look through those glasses, I can have all sorts of things. I can have an arrow hovering over, I wanted to get here because I got totally lost. 
you know, it will tell me go left, go right, you know, all that sort of stuff. I could have it look at someone if I have it using hyperlink, some sort of high find, look at your facial, it does facial recognition, pops up your information, it says, oh, this is da 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 da, and I can talk to you and know who you are, uh, and so on. So it's kind of a fun little thing that, that's actually real, and it's the next evolution in simulation, and that's what we'll be seeing come up over the next 10 years. Um, and what I'm showing here is there's a technique that's called digital watermarking or steganography, which is the idea of hiding information into imagery. When you do that, that then becomes smart data. Tim Berners-Lee talks about the semantic web, the killer application. What is it? It's simulation. That's the killer application. So you can pass that information out to these augmented reality classes and, and move on with this thing. 